Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 136. We missed you guys quite a lot and we're back after two full weeks. I'm here with my two co-hosts, Ed Wynn of TalesOfAdventure.com and Jim Casale of CoolStuffInc.com. And speaking of Cool Stuff Inc., they are, of course, sponsoring this podcast with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% bios bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. How are you guys doing this week? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. Ed? Good. For people wondering why Ed is in such a great mood this week, uh, he is still in Japan on vacation. So I think he had to wake up at 4 a.m. to record this. So we appreciate his sacrifice. Ed, how was Kyoto? Was it fun? Was it boring? Etc. Uh, it was more or less just another Japanese GP. It was kind of the same as it's always been. The same number of vendors. Uh, same kind of layout. Uh, I I don't really know. Uh, this is the second show where Japanese vendors have been able to buy. So I think a lot of vendors are still trying to adjust. Um, it's definitely... Uh, a bit of experience trying to sell cards as a GP, especially seeing people walk around and trying to sell their cards. Um, again, a lot of the vendors haven't quite gone used to it yet. I think that, that kind of shows. Um, but other than that, fairly standard Japanese GP, nothing too crazy. Yeah, I was in Japan as well, though I wasn't really at the Grand Prix, but it was funny to see Hotless like fifteen whole dollars for doubling season. Uh, was was one of the ones that I thought was pretty funny. Um, that's a card that's continued to rise across all versions in the United States, but it seems to be going for twenty to twenty five dollars in Japan. Another thing to note is that Sylvan Library spiked, and copies were readily available in Japan and parts of America for still fifteen dollars. Um, the card is now $40, I believe, across almost every version. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that gets reprinted in Modern Horizons. I know a lot of people say it's too strong or that it breaks the color pie. Um, but if you remember when we had MTG deals, had MTG deals head buyer Paul Feudo on, he had predicted that basically all Eternal Masters cards were going to go up, and we're continuing to see that two years after Eternal Masters was released. Um but the trends have definitely started oscillating towards what we saw last year. It's not going to be as crazy of a bull run, but it's definitely going to be profitable for people that bought in during November and December when prices were at an all-time low. Uh, Jim, how are your two weeks off? What did you do, and did you interact with anything related to MTG Finance in that time? Uh, I got some cards signed at uh, Emerald City Comic Con by an artist that is boycotting uh magic grand prix so like is that magic finance stuff i don't know i don't plan on selling them so probably not that's about as close as i got um i did for like a split second think about like grinding a bunch of events to get those um death baron promos is that is that the thing the skeleton the SDCC guy? death baron promos yeah the the it's a con specific promo and i was like 
yeah, I'll just do that for like a couple of hours and get a bunch of promos. And then I was like, or I could just spend all my money on art prints. So that's what I did instead. Oh, so actually, yeah. I yeah. lied. I lied. There was one other thing that I did that was like kind of MTG finance related. Uh, it was more so just like magic related. Uh, I went to a panel about um, like story development and magic and like what that's going to look like going forward. Um, they have announced or they did announce while I was there, uh, there will be a new book that comes out after the current Ravnica novel that will um, that will continue the story after whatever happens in War of the Spark, which um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know what we can derive out of that just yet, but like, they're definitely being very like, like the story stuff is very important to them. And there are things that we might be able to glean in the future from the story, like about like, what color the planeswalkers are, for example, because like, I don't think we know what colors the new one is. Teo he is the, uh, or yeah, I believe it's a, a male character. Uh, I believe he is on the cover of the novel. He's the weird looking one that nobody knows who they are. As I think it has Chandra, Gideon, Kaya, and a new person. Um, but, you know, they, they announced that they're going to do another book that's coming out after this one. And then there's um, some like prequel stories that are coming out also. And generally speaking, this kind of stuff doesn't like they don't make stories on planes that you don't visit usually. So uh, I know that these books are supposed to be on Ravnica or these stories in, these, in this next book should be on Ravnica, which means that like I would be surprised if like the core set didn't contain a bunch of cards that were Ravnica themed at least. Like there will be more guild or gold cards probably in that set to complement those stories, much like we got the uh, Nicobolus like origin story in the last M set where we got all the dragons and whatever. But um, I think it's too early to tell like what that what all that stuff is going to actually mean. I think that as we get closer to new set releases, we'll get a better idea of like how the story is going to influence what new cards come out. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. Um, I actually didn't think about that. Where was that at? Uh, Emerald City Comic Con. They had a panel on Sunday, um, and they had some people to discuss like what what was happening and they had like a new writer there. He was uh, to announce his new short stories that were coming out. And uh, then the follow-up book to war of the spark. And then there was like a, an image they revealed for a character named rat. And she's, um, she's like an un ungilded character that is supposed to be like trying to choose a new guild and helping Teo to like, to, like learn about Ravnica and whatnot. I posted a bunch of stuff on uh, Twitter. I tried to like tweet everything as it was happening, um, but I don't. You'd probably have to like scroll back down into my timeline to find it all. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Well, Ed, was there anything specific you wanted to talk about this week in regards to certain products or trends? Uh. I think I think the trend that's are becoming more and more noticeable uh, 
is kind of the evolution of how prices are really starting to pick up speed. Uh, it kind of started with um, uh, with them announcing that there's no modern legal reprints coming in Modern Horizons. So as a result, um, fetches have started to get considerably more expensive. Uh, it seems like there's been more growth on them um, recently than there has been for quite some time. Uh, we talked, I think, before a brief hiatus that Scalding Tarn was basically back at 100, and now a lot of the other dual or the, a lot of the other fetches behind it has started to catch up as well. Uh, Missy has gone fairly expensive. Verdant is certainly on the way up. The black green deck that uh, black green rock type deck um, has definitely seemed to make a surge in modern. So there's a lot of movement on the has always done well because John John kind of fell off, and now uh, this black green deck seems to be the most updated uh, iteration of John Desaware. Um, so Vernon is starting to creep back up. It's almost uh, there's very few copies below seventy dollars on TCG Player. Um, other than that, uh, even the cons fetches have gone quite expensive. Even uh, Flooded Strand, Blue Delta have are basically at twenty dollars. Uh Blazy Meyer is the most played one in modern. That one is twenty-five plus. Um a lot of the vendors in uh Kyoto actually had cons fetches on their buy list, probably because they've gone so expensive and people have been wanting them in such high volume that um that's sort of keeping the stock and so what modern looks like post modern horizons it's very likely that fetches are probably almost certainly going to be a cornerstone of our deck you want to build um i think i think people are starting starting to come to terms that if they want them they need them now because without any reprints in the immediate future fetches are just gonna get hard to get um and i'm i think modern staples may follow but it's harder to choose which ones will actually be good in the new modern, as it were. Um, granted, there's a pro tour happening before that happens, but um, I I think with so much uncertainty, uh, fetches are basically what people want to be buying right now because, again, regardless of what happens to modern, people will always need fetches to play. Um, similar to how if you want to start playing Legacy, you probably starting out buying, you know, Force of Wills, your like one or two hundred ground seas, some amount of tundras, etc. Those things will always just be the cornerstone of Legacy. Uh, fetches are basically those way from uh, those cards from Modern. Um, so I think that's where where we're at. I I see prices adjusting probably relatively soon. It's getting towards the end of March. Um, usually this is when we start to see prices pick up, um, cause, because last year it was around GP Seattle in mid-April that we started to see cards just explode in price. Yeah, and to touch on that, specifically duels, um, stuff like Tundra, you're seeing Card Kingdom basically offer TCG now, uh, for all editions, so... 
if you take the 30% downgrade for SP, for example, they're basically still paying market rate on duels. Now, obviously, this may be Card Kingdom being Card Kingdom, um, but it's just something to note that we're consider we're, we're continuing to see vendors raise buy prices on most of the duels as well as most of the fetches. Um, I don't know what Ed specifically did on his vacation, but it is crazy to me that Scalding Tarn is worth more in the U.S. right now than it is in Japan, which we've mentioned before. Um, and the last time this happened, where you could trade four Scalding Tards for a played UC, uh, duels went crazy, and then power went crazy. And we're starting to see that happen again, where modern's going crazy. So in a couple of weeks, duels will go crazy. So in a couple months, power will go crazy. Um, and I want to say that duels went crazy... Actually, I know when they went crazy last year. Uh, it was the first week of May or the second week of May at GP Birmingham when duels exploded. Um, so we will probably see that happen again in a month if trends follow the exact same, where you start to see a couple shops offer higher on buy lists and the low ones on TCG get bought up, and then there's a run on them in a month. And it won't be anything close to what happened last year, but there will be a nice bump in prices across the board. Um, anything either of you want to add to that? Um, yeah, I think that like a lot of people maybe think about this in the back of their mind, but like don't necessarily have to come to this conclusion so easily. But like cards are always held back a little bit by the fact that they could get reprinted. Like, there's always the, like the thought, like you know, oh, the next set that comes out, you know, this could have this card that I need. So like, oh, this next set could have Scalding Tarn. So I'm gonna wait and see what happens. Um, but whenever it's like confirmed or complete, like announced or confirmed that this card is for sure not in this set, that's when people all come to the same conclusion. Well, it's probably just the best time to buy, and I think that that has a lot of impact on like. The price of these cards is like people were like, oh, Modern Horizons, that's kind of cool. I wonder what it means. Oh, it means that they're printing new cards for Modern, but they're not reprinting any old cards. That's really weird, but that like for sure says that you can't have any fetch lands in there because they're all new cards to Modern. That like once all that once that idea clicks into enough people's brains, that's when it like starts to have this effect where like players will go and buy them because they were waiting and waiting and waiting and then they got the set where they thought they could have been in them and then they weren't so now they go buy them and i don't think that necessarily means that there's like more demand for scalding tarn than there was the day before but there's definitely like uh people have a higher threshold of what they're willing to pay because they know that it's not going to get reprinted very soon and uh, I think you basically hit the point like dead on Jeremy. I think once uh, once people realize that they can readily trade up into the next tier of card that was unobtainable for them, that's going to be when people bite the bullet on things. Um, especially when you talk about GPs, right? All it takes is a few vendors that want to pay aggressively, offer good trade bumps on their card uh, on what they're buying. And then all of a sudden, oh, I can turn my, uh, you know, my, my playhouse Scalding Tarns into an underground sea. Well, the cheap underground seas go away, like you said. And then all of a sudden, people just 
are the, the 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 price index just keeps going up on each um for each set of cards specifically and then as individual cards start to correct themselves within each bracket um it kind of it is naturally sh it just naturally shifts everything upward um I, and I think this is just the beginning of it. And it is, isn't even necessarily just modern we're talking about. I've noticed um, that a lot of casual cards that were previously fairly cheap or have stayed steady for quite some time um, have started to get quite expensive as well. A lot of cards in EMA, like you had previously mentioned, both competitive and casual. One, they're just so hard to find now. Eternal Masters is three years old at this point. It's hard to find stores that have a healthy amount of it in stock. And um, the EV on the set it has just steadily been climbing. First, we talked about how uh, Jace has just steadily been climbing for a while. It's, Mana Crypt. Right. Uh, Jace has been well over $100. Mana Crypt is 160 170 now. They're just getting progressively hard to find and we certainly don't have people going out and busting their boxes of eternal masters anymore um uh beyond that you have cards like, like sylvan library and line tutor used to be quite cheap and now they're basically gone from tcg player as well um i think this is just a run of people being able to pull the trigger on cards that they want i i imagine some of it's speculative i imagine there's i'm not saying that people think Enlightened Tutor is going to be a modern, for example, but there's clearly a non-zero number of people who think Force of Will will be a modern. Um, and all this is doing is anytime people pull the trigger, one, it's creating another transaction in the market that might not have had happened, especially people were waiting for something actionable to happen. But now that they're, like Jim said, there's, we definitely know there's no reprint. Now it's just causing people to pull the trigger, which they might not otherwise have. Uh, when you compound that with people have more money during uh, tax season after the refund are starting to land, um, you just start to see cards disappear very quickly. It doesn't necessarily matter if people are buying cards organically or trying to artificially cause prices to rise. It just naturally uh, causes the market to adjust. And I think that's just more or less the beginning of what we're seeing. And I think this is probably going to continue through summer. And I actually, um, unlike Jeremy, I actually think there will be a very, very sharp increase um, this year. One, because um, on a slight unrelated note, Arena just brings so much, has brought so much visibility to the game. Um, you just naturally have people coming in as well that otherwise have had no exposure to Magic. And this weekend with the uh, Mythic invitational i think that's what it's actually called um it, we'll have to see how much uh how well twitch um twitch views show and i and to see how good arena is because this is the first premiere showing of arena as it were um and if it does bring a lot of people in the game like it already has it's just it's just going to further accelerate the process of magic cards being more expensive yep great point Jim, do you want to get into our credit winner of the week? Sure. Our uh, our winner this week is uh, Sergio Rovoletto. I probably said that wrong. I apologize, Sergio. But he asks, uh, well, I think I know what podcast he's talking about. He says, in another podcast, he mentioned that buying bulk was the easiest and cheapest way to start in the finance game. But where does one buy bulk? In my area... 
there's barely any LGS in a small community of maybe 100 or so players. So, uh, so finding people to buy bulk from, I don't know where to start. Uh, so I assume that this is a BSB thing because nobody loves bulk more than, uh, than Doug, probably. But if you're looking to buy bulk, personally, I would like look to talk to the players themselves. Uh, most of it can be purchased directly from players that have, you know, boxes and boxes of cards that they don't play with. Uh, you can put like ads on like Craigslist or similar style websites where you can like, you know, put a classified ad, say, hey, I want to buy magic cards at this rate for this amount of dollars per this amount of cards. Um, but it really comes down to like knowing people and that's a kind of a hard thing to get at the beginning. Uh, I'm not a fan of bulk, so this is not a strategy I would recommend. Um, one, because you have to have the means of being able to buy law bulk, store a law bulk, and actually process law bulk. Um, I, I don't know what your what your life looks like or, you know, how, like, you have a lot of things to consider. If you live in a small apartment, is it really feasible? Do you really want to fill your apartment with 5Ks of bulk? Is that, is that, like, practical for you? I mean, again, these are, without going too deep into it, I think that uh, buying bulk is not as free as it were. Um, if you, for example, if you eat, let's take Jim's example. Let's say some guy comes up to you and says, hey, I have... I have 10,000 cards. That's like a little less than two 5Ks of bulk. I'm just looking to get rid of, right? You can offer $2 per thousand. You're in for about $20. That's great. Your cost is relatively low, but where do you start? Do you, if this bulk is completely mixed, let's say this guy has been playing for five or six years, do you really know what bulk you're pulling out of five or six years of the most recent sets? Um, right. And then again, how, how deep are you willing to go into this? 10,000 cards is, a relatively trivial amount of cards in terms of what bulk looks like. Um, right? But if you're sitting there and you're looking up cards from what's the set that came out four years ago? Four years ago was 2015. 2015 was con was cons block, right? Cons and Origins. Do you really know what bulk you're pulling out of Origins? That's not already obvious. Um, so, like, to me, and then, right, to me, like, if you don't already know this information and you can't do it quickly, it's just costing you more time than probably what you're benefiting from this. Um, that being said, uh, if you if you are set on buying bulk, turn to Craigslist, um, right? Turn to your players. Say, make yourself known as the guy who can pick bulk and who just buys bulk. Um, if if that's how you want to get started, again, it's. It's not as free as uh, Doug would make it sound. Doug has been doing this for quite a while. He is very, very good at picking bulk. And if you have seen videos of him when he's uh, on here with us, he just has shelves and shelves in his basement, I believe. I think that's what he uses as his office, just shelves of bulk. And um, and I can't imagine that a lot of it sits there and wait. Uh, he has to wait for Star City to come by or something, or for him to actually fill enough bulk to make a drive worth it or whatever. Um, so, take it how you will. This is definitely one of those your mileage may vary type things.
Uh, I don't want to say it's impossible, but I think there are better ways to monetize your time than going through bulk uh, right off the bat. I, there's certainly a point in the future where you probably have done this enough. You can pick through bulk very quickly. You know what to pull out. Um, and you can strip down to 5K in, you know, 10, 20 minutes or something. Um, but again, until then, I... I wouldn't recommend it if you're set on doing it. Start with Craigslist. Go through small bulk lots. See how much time it takes you, how much return you're getting on you know, 10,000 cards. You're in for $20. How long does it take you to get your money back and actually turn a profit on it? And then from there, uh, do what you will with it. So I'm going to add a couple things to that. Um, Doug is definitely one of the better bulk pickers out there. Um, but because he's one of the best bulk pickers out there, he gets bulk nonstop. If you're just starting out, by the way, Sergio's watching this live. He said this was because of BSB. So thanks to everyone who watches when we record live. Um, so Doug is the bulk guy. He gets bulk all the time. He sells bulk all the time. He picks bulk all the time. And as Ed mentioned, it takes a while to get to that position. Because he's getting so much bulk, he makes it sound very easy to pick and all that. And it is when you're the bulk guy. If you're just starting out, don't chase every collection you see on Craigslist. Like, don't chase everything that comes your way. I think that's one of the biggest lessons this podcast has taught people. There's always going to be a better place or like a better collection to buy. So keep an eye out on whatever your version of Craigslist is or like touch base with your shop and be like, you know, if you ever get a big collection in and you need someone to take the bulk out of here or like you think you've picked the bulk if it's like a shop that doesn't sell online, which is a lot of shops still in the 21st century. Uh, if it's just a shop that sells offline and they've quote unquote picked the bulk, you can still buy that from them and figure it out. But it's all about just being patient enough until the right collection comes along. Like for the professionals, which is what Doug and Ed are, because they literally have to make a very small amount of money grinding 80 hours a week or 100 hours a week. So they need to know and they need to capitalize on every opportunity and they know like every card in the game. If you're just starting out, just be patient and don't worry about it and don't chase stuff because you won't be as good as the professionals. Um. Because even if you have access to the blueprint or data, the people that have networked over the years will always have a greater net to move stuff. So just wait until a collection or a shop comes along that's in your budget. And that's easy to flip. Uh, so that's the biggest thing. Because too many people, and I think Ogre is a great example of this, and this was pretty well known a couple years ago, where Ogre was a Midwest grinder. And he was very good at what he did, which was buying cards in one location and then using his network and transporting them to another location and making money. Um, the problem with that business practice is that you end up vacuuming up way too much stuff that's not easy to move. And then a significant amount of your capital is held back because of that. And you see this a lot with binder grinders as well. Like they'll, they'll take everything and then it just sits there and they don't make money. And you get these grinders who, quote-unquote, sell on TCG, and they have a $20,000 binder or whatever, but they have no money in their pocket. 
because they spent it all buying every single card. So hopefully that helps. Um, it really does depend on your budget, how well you are doing at flipping and uh, making sure not to vacuum up everything in sight. So hopefully that helps. I mean, every everyone on this cast is different. And that's why we hope it gives you guys different ideas of what to do for finance. So, yeah. All right. So, Sergio, you can send me an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com, and I will get you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffing.com. If anyone listening now live or later uh, you know, in our recording, uh, if you'd like to win your uh, $25 of coolstuffing.com store credit, you need to leave a question on the page that will go up the day after, usually it's the day after the cast is released. Uh, I leave a question on our on our, our, our the article that goes up, and if you get selected, then you can win twenty five dollars of coolstuffinc.com store credit. And I've got one final topic to touch on before we sign out of here, um, because this has been asked a lot on social media lately. There's a lot of people getting into finance, like um, Sergio here, because he listens to Brainstorm. Um, what information should you look at when you're getting into MTG finance? Because right now there's way too much information out there for people. So how would you recommend getting into finance and not in a I'm Ed and I fly around the world for vacations and I work a hundred hours a week and I make as much as a guy at McDonald's does, but more like what Jim does where it's, Oh, you know, I'm going to buy two of this card for EDH wait a year, sell one of them, and then I got a free card. So how would you recommend getting into that style of MTG finance? Man, why are you so mean to Ed? Because he didn't say hi to me at Kyoto. Feels bad, man. I don't think I saw Jeremy once, by the way. I don't think he showed up to GP at all. I was he there was... Friday morning, that was it. And then Brent yelled okay. at me because he couldn't find me. Okay. Oh my gosh, well... <laughs> You don't have to throw Ed under a bus that he probably doesn't deserve to be you under. You can't throw Ed under a bus. He already fits under the bus. What do you mean you can't throw him? Like, that would make it easier to throw him under the bus. <laughs> Just because he can walk under it doesn't mean that you can't also throw him under it. I was trying to defend you, and then he's just, like, making it worse. Um... <laughs> What were we even talking about? I don't remember. How would you get into finance? And by the way, there's a reason why, uh, just to continue with that for a second, like Doug and Ed are so good at what they do that people are willing to employ them to pick bulk for them or to like look through bulk rares because they've memorized every single card. So if you're a vendor or like there's people posting on Twitter that like they want to sort bulk for money because they don't have money. I don't know if you saw those Twitter threads. I think it was yesterday. They're like, I don't have money, but I'm good at picking bulk. Like, can someone ship me bulk and I'll pick it for them and then they pay me? Which is like trust. But Ed and Doug have memorized basically every card in Magic and how much it goes for. That's what their brain capacity has been devoted to over the last decade. And so you get people where that's a marketable skill. And so I'm willing to fly Ed or Doug in from New York and pay for their air air pay to host them at a hotel and then pay them too much money to like work for me because that really pays off once you've gotten this skill set. 
Um, but that's like 1% of people that are actually professionals at this job. Yeah, you can't just be like me and be a pretty face with a sweet beard and get paid to fly around the world and sell things to your customers. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very narrow skill set. You could do almost anything else and make more money. But for some pe- some people, this is what they want to do. Um, but what sources would you recommend, just as like a quick closer for people so, getting into finance? Uh, Reddit so mentioned a lot. And so we have a lot of new listeners. Um, my most of the things that I want to like look at are things that are not necessarily like you. You don't want to try to buy things that a lot of other people are interested in. Um, at least not at the time that you're buying them. So a lot of the things I will look into are like, for example, uh, EDH Rec is a is a place I frequent a lot because I play Commander. Big surprise! That's a good source for commander for commander cards and and deck lists and whatnot. Um, what I would try to do there is not necessarily the same as a lot of other people. Whereas, like, if I'm going to go there and I'm going to think about building a deck, if it's a new commander, probably a lot of other people are also thinking about this. And I try to figure out based on what the aggregate list looks like. You know, what kind of cards are people playing in those decks? What kind of cards are the cards that are in the least supply? Which are the cards that are the least replaceable? And base my decisions on that. The other things that I buy a lot of are like standard legal cards that I think are probably cheaper than they will be in the future. So that is also kind of predicated on like, you know, knowing when rotation is. So like paying attention to stuff in, uh, Ravnica Allegiance and stuff that's in Guilds of Ravnica because those sets will not be rotating in the fall. When we're looking like to get to the spoiler season for whatever the fall set is, I will start looking through the older sets and being like, which of these cards has bottomed out? Which ones are not really seeing very much play but could be very strong? Um, it's it's hard to like pinpoint exactly where I would look like. I tend to use, I think it's MTG stocks to like look at the historical data for how like how expensive cars have been. Um, if you have subscription to Quiet Speculation, their uh, trader tools are quite good for finding like buys prices and sell prices of cards to give you a more accurate view because I think MTG stocks only uses TCG player. But if you just want like a really rough estimate of like how much something costs you could just use scryfall like if you're just like building a deck and you're like man this card fits really good in my deck and this deck is like a new deck that's going to be might be very popular you can see oh it's only like a dollar or two and it's like a mirrored in rare that's never been reprinted like that's the kind of card that you can you can figure out from what you're doing um whether or not you should buy extra copies of it I don't generally buy cards I don't intend to play with, which helps to take some of this thing out of like, oh, I spent too much money or it didn't go up. Um, but I understand that that's not everyone's end game. My end game is not necessarily to make a ton of money buying and selling magic cards. It's to make it so that I buy the cards that I want to play when they're cheaper. So uh, that, that's, I guess, like those are the sources I use to try to figure it out. Uh, I would look at this from a slightly different perspective. Um, 
obviously, Jeremy, your question was more geared towards Jim, but um, I've had a fair amount of people who approach me saying, you know, like, how, how do we all get our start, right? Like, most of us were, uh, were backpack dealers, right? We were uh, allegedly buying cards out of, you know, on the floor of events inside game stores, right? Just starting out on a small level, and a lot of people seem to think, hey, I'm getting big enough. I want to take this, do this full time, turn it more into just a hobby, et cetera. Um, I imagine there's some listeners who are thinking this as well. And to be perfectly honest, I would absorb content that's not specific to magic, but to business in general. Um, you need to be able to apply a set of skills that's more universal, especially if you're looking to start to professionally start your own business and do this more than just a hobby um if you're looking to do this as a hobby that's fine right like you know there's you know there's nothing wrong with doing what jim is doing for example you you want to keep the game affordable you want to make it um so that you're not paying um you're not paying through the nose you get information that i should be buying my fetches now as opposed to in a month or two when they get more expensive you can cash in your fetches for duels. Like these are all things that if you want to keep your the hobby affordable, that's great. If you're looking to turn this into a business, you need to possess, I would say, a certain level of savvy that is probably reasonably reasonably difficult to find nowadays. Mainly because you don't have the advantage of the market working for you as much as people did before. If you bought into this game, if you started buying into cards in, you know. 2000, for example, and you've continued to build your collection over the years, your 10K investment, you know, has turned into who knows how much by now, depending on what you did. Um, right? Obviously, your money had more time to appreciate, but I think even now you'd be hard-pressed to turn a 10K investment into a very sizable amount in five years, 10 years, etc., which is a very long time to be in this, especially because there's so many people trying to enter... Was that big of true? Um, uh, it, it's, it's just so hard to get in. Um, so again, if you're, I would suggest if you're looking to do this professionally, read business articles, read how other people actually run a business. There's a lot of resources out there. Read things like, as dull as it sounds, read, read about behavioral economics and how. The market operates. Um, there's a, a very good article um, written by I think his name Richard Thaler. I was actually reading him earlier. Richard Thaler. He won the Nobel Prize in Economic Sciences last year, and because he had contributed very heavily towards how people operate in um, in markets and the fact that they do so irrationally is a big contributing part to how uh, economies and fundamentally businesses operate. It's a very, very interesting read. Uh, he has published quite a few books on this. Um, but these are the t this, this is the type of content you want to absorb. If you're actually looking to do this professionally, you need to understand retail business. You need to understand how things work. It's not enough to go out and say, Scotland Hard's $100. I want to pay 65%. And you know, selling TCG for seventy-five dollars after fees, for example, that's fundamentally anyone can do that, right? Like if you're looking to, you know, pick bulk or 
you know, look at buy lists, right? Anyone can be successful with a lot of cash and a computer. Um, but again, if you're looking to get ahead and you actually want to, if you, sure, I mean, if we were all born with hedge fund money, right, then it would be a different story. Um, but if you actually do want to do this professionally, I would suggest looking at how real professionals do it. Look at how, you know, read, read autobiographies from people who have gone very far in this business, um, not specifically this business, but in business in general, um, and learn, I guess. You really have to learn life skills that transcend more than just magic um, if you yeah. actually want to be able to apply a relevant set of skills to magic. You will lose a lot of money. You will make a lot of money. You will have good buys and bad buys, and it's all about learning. Um, what did I want to touch on besides Ed's words of wisdom? There was something. Oh, I've generally found if people are too lazy to file for a business license or they're too lazy to reach out to a shop near them that like occasionally sells magic cards, but like doesn't really sell magic cards, then they're probably not going to succeed because you need to have the drive to deal with magic players. And that is the hardest part of all. So, because you can be a gentleman like Ed and have all the business stuff down, but magic players will test your business and your patience a lot. And you just sort of have to deal with that. So like your mental game has to be as strong as your business acumen because it's a lot of hours of work. And that's, if you're successful, you'll still be making way less than anyone who's as successful in any other industry. So, yeah. Um, as far as information, like, listen to what other people are listening to, but don't necessarily follow the herd. Don't, like, buy out pick of the weeks. Because it's not 2018 anymore. You can't just like throw darts at a board and make money. Um, yeah. So like listen to this cast, but like don't necessarily act on everything. Listen to BSB, but don't necessarily act on everything. But like if you listen to four or five trusted sources or read four or five trusted people's articles every week, it should help you get a general idea of what to do. Um, and this isn't just like random Reddit posts. This is just like established authors or established people in the finance scene that have been there for quite a while. That have basically done the hard work and failed at certain things. And they're the ones telling you how not to do the same thing. So, Ed, anything you want to add on there? Uh, I, I think without going into this too much deeper and, you know, specifics would take forever. Um, a lot of people who have gone, who have been successful with this, have picked them up from, picked themselves up from failing. They've, you know, it's, it's not enough to be able. Being good isn't enough, mainly because no one gets there on their own by being good. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of failures along the way, a lot of setbacks, etc. Uh, you have to be able to properly cope with them. Um, and you have to be able to learn from your mistakes. I, I, it sounds, it sounds incredibly cliche um, to say this, but uh, 
a lot of people had a lot of hard knocks along the way um, to to get ahead, as it were. Um, and most importantly, they by doing this, by being able to fail, you have to you learn to think for yourself. Um, like Jeremy said, it's not you, you. You can absorb all the content you want. Um, you can have you know a very good skill set for this, but you just can't blindly follow what other people think. You have to be able to think for yourself, make decisions for yourself, except that sometimes your decisions don't always work out. Sometimes you're operating at a loss. That's nature. You just have to kind of move on, realize that you know there's something else out there. There's another collection that will turn out. Um, you know, if you're looking at retail decisions, uh, you know, you have you have to be able to to sometimes take take gambles. They don't pan out. Um, that was kind of my biggest takeaway from Gamma, which was what actually was at uh, prior to Tampa. I believe our last recording was on Sunday before I had to attend to Gamma. Um, yep, and then. Yeah, yeah. From then, I talked with. Um, uh, so, for a quick reference, uh, Gamma is a convention for game store retailers, distributors, and manufacturers. Um, you have game. You have game store owners coming from all over the country talking about how they run their store. I attended a lot of seminars from different people. They present on various topics about owning a game store. Um, it's very interesting to see varying levels of success but one of the uh seminars i attended was actually measuring success um and what it looks like and you and obviously there's you know varying levels there's some small mom and pop type shops one or two man operations and you have you have people that are among the largest sellers on tcg player uh crystal amazon etc on there um and again you just have to kind of take on stride it's you know none of us i Highly doubt any of us here are going to be the next Amazon. Nope. Right, but you can. You can no. Yeah, you can still be successful. What, what was that? Jeremy? Oh, thank you. Right, but um, you know, you just have to, you just have to figure out what works for you, what makes you happy, how you can measure your success, and what you're trying to get out of all this. All right, let's get a pick of the week. Ed. Uh, uh, so my pick is kind of an odd one. Um, I like Iconic Masters Sealed product right now. Um, for a really long time, this was, it was considered to be a pretty big flop. Um, if people don't remember, that was with the spoiling of the set at Hascon. They had a special pre-release event for people who attended, and cards were basically being unveiled as... I opened up a Flusterstorm. Flusterstorm is being reprinted, etc. Um, for a while, the set didn't really get the credit it deserved. Um, you were able to buy it almost every quarter. Distributors would say, hey, we have a sale on this product. If you buy X amount of standard product, we'll sell you boxes of Iconic at $99 or something, which was below their cost at the time. Um, uh, costs I, I assume I can safely go into this since it's basically irrelevant. Uh, cost was usually about $125 or so. And then if you if you remember, there's a long stretch when you could buy Iconic Master boxes for 130 shipped or something. People just wanted to get rid of it, get their money back. Um, and now if you actually break down the set, the EV is quite high. 
you have a lot of things that people had originally considered to be misses are actually rebounding quite nicely. Um, it is one of those sets where it has a bit of an identity issue, mainly because you have cards, uh, you have competitive cards that were geared towards modern. Um, Aether Vial, I'm just, I'm just looking at the set list here. Aether Vial, Ancestral Vision, uh, Blood Gas, Crypto Command, Fluster Storm, Horizon, uh, Horizon Camp. Yep. Uh, Thossies, right? These are all cards that uh, could be more geared towards a, a way to get um, supply into modern. A lot of these have, they're fair, they've been fairly stable for some time, but now we're starting to see a lot of them rise. Horizon Canopy has constantly been the upswing for a while, and even though Humans is no longer as prevalent as it was six months ago, uh, prior to Conkland Ironworks and Phoenix decks, Horizon Canopy is getting more and more expensive, more and more stars are putting on their buy lists because it's so hard to keep in stock. Um, Aether Vial has been on the on the uptick, um, even though there aren't really any Aether Vial decks in Modern, um, because these cards have just steadily been disappearing. And then if you look at Mythics, there's a huge, huge uh, push for a lot of the Commander staples that a lot that people scoffed at originally. Um, Mandrain is selling, you can't find copies under $70, and that's actually starting to push what they were pre-ordering. I think they pre-ordered at 85 to 90 or so. Um, and for the longest time, Mandrain was just $55, $60. Uh, we see it going up. Avacyn and Consecrated Sphinx are basically the biggest white creature and the biggest blue creature in EDH. Um, you will sell infinite copies of those. Those are starting to tick upwards. Uh, the EV on the set, uh, Warnplex is kind of similarly the biggest green creature in EDH. Um, all, all these have just made Iconic uh, Masters fairly attractive. I don't know how much Steel Project is out there, but at this point, I imagine a lot of stores, their supply has dried up. If you actually look on Star City, Star City is currently sold out. Um, someone has actually posted there's a mass drop available, I think, on the MTG Finance subreddit. Uh, that's worth investigating. Um, the set was okay to play sealed, but the EV is getting so high at this point. Um, it's it's almost worth cracking if you can find boxes on the cheap, especially at the price that you can get a mass, on mass drop. And I imagine before too long, um, Iconic Masters boxes will just continue to rise and kind of catch up. Uh, probably not to Mar Masters or EMA levels, but I do suspect they have a bit more to climb before they uh, level out, especially if we see a lot of these casual cards continue to get more expensive. All right, Jim. Uh, my pick this week is Contagion Class. Uh, it's a pretty innocuous card. It has a name that's very similar to a card that people will often associate with counters. Um, it's a little bit less expensive mana-wise as well as dollar-wise. And it's a little easier to come by. Um, with the amount of Planeswalkers that we're likely to see in War of the Spark, this is one of the few cards that people I don't think really have like put in their mind as cards that will be um, casually relevant. Like everyone looked at, oh, all the cards that say Planeswalker on them are already been, have already been purchased. So like uh, Chain Veil, like all the Oath cards. Uh, Deploy the gate watch like any card that says planeswalker on it. People just like looked for all the cards with planeswalkers on them and bought them. 
what they didn't look at was necessarily all the cards that had proliferate on them because they also synergized very well with Planeswalkers. So um, there are a couple of cards that are, that are like significantly better than other ones. Uh, I think an inexorable tide, contagion engine, and contagion class were the three best that you could be buying. Um, but contagion engine has or, or sorry, contagion engine is ten dollars. Inexorable tide is apparently four ish. That that has already gone up a little bit, but you can still find contagion class for about fifty cents. Um, I think that a lot of players will be priced out of these new spikes, spiked cards, and will be looking for cheaper alternatives. Contagion Clasp is not bad for what what you're if, if that's what you're looking for, and it's a card that while I worked at a store was purchased significantly more often than you would you would think it would be. Nice pick. Uh, my pick of the week is Spellseeker. This card is finally rebounding, and it's disgusting in certain EDH decks. Uh, it allows you to get stuff like mana drain, top, all that crap. Uh, you're starting to see you know, get top. You or, sorry. Yeah, not top snap, uh, but a lot of a lot of uh, good two mana things in commander, and a lot of bios arising on it. Uh, this card is definitely starting to leave its floor. So, this is a card I like long term. I don't think they'll put it in Modern Horizons. All right, Jim, where can people find us? Find all of us? I don't know where all of you are. Uh, they can find me on coolstuffing.com. I have articles that usually go up every other week. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore, and you can find me on this lovely podcast. Uh... My name is Ed. I'm on Twitter at Edwin13. I will be in Japan for another 12 hours, and then I will be in GP Kagari this coming weekend. Did you get Delta 1? Uh, not from here to Hawaii. I have oh. it from Hawaii to Los Angeles. Well, sometimes you don't run lucky. If you want to see people run lucky and fly first class, you can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG just uh, tweeted out a lovely Japan Airlines first class lounge. And as always, you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, YouTube, our sponsors, coolstuffinc.com, and on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. It's nice to see you guys still listening to this cast. We appreciate your patience with our one week off. And as always, bye bye.